broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. It's your host, C.W. Hall, here on Midtown Business Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again today. Joined in studio, as always. Hey, C.W. Krista Baruti, producer extraordinaire. Pretty excited about that start to the show. <laughs> Voice over talent. It went off swimmingly. <laughs> we've got an amazing guest with tons of stories to tell. Yeah, Who are we've we been talking to, to today? We've been having some cool conversations here waiting for the show to jump. Um, joined in the studio by a serial entrepreneur, as she's described, by having owned seven businesses in the past 30 years, the chief executive officer of a new media channel located here in Atlanta. They provide an internet-based television station and kind of like we have over here they've realized the power of new media and the ability for uh, viewers and listeners in our case to select content that's relevant to them based on what a a given show may be uh, discussing on a given day and listen to it when it makes sense for them. Um, I'm joined by Ruth King. She's an author, published author, has a book that came out a little over a year ago, and then uh, much information for the business owner who needs to learn a little bit more, as we know here soon, profitability and what that's all about. So thanks for taking some time, Ruth. My pleasure. Thanks, CW, for having me. We'll have fun today. Yeah. So chemical engineering, now doing TV. So can you... (laughs) Where where do we start here? Can we rewind (laughs) a little bit? I started out. I started out going to college, wanting to go to medical school, and decided that after I hit college, didn't want to do that. So I figured out what else was I going to do, and I was a math chem major. So I switched into chemical engineering and got two degrees in chemical engineering. Loved working in the summer. Got out in the real world and absolutely hated it. So you, yeah, because as we were sitting around talking before we went off, I didn't hear anything that really talked about uh, a job with Dupont or somebody where you were <laughs> or applying. Exxon yeah, or whatever. One of those, yeah. Um, uh, where you're applying your chemical engineering. So you. Actually, we do apply it every single day because, as, as I explained to my father who complained about spending X number of dollars on my education that I wasn't using anymore, yeah. that engineering in and of itself teaches you a method to attack problems, to think, to be creative. And the things that I do with profitability makes me the, have me the ability to really explain it in English very, very well rather than this question mark and this black hole of I don't know what this means type thing so it just it really does establish a very good baseline to solve problems and do what you want to do in life i know that uh, that your new media channel the profitability revolution paradigm i know that uh, and the website is profitabilityrevolution.com i know that the focus of your content is very much aimed at the business community um having value for whether it's a B2B company or a B2C. You'd like to focus uh, your information towards the small business owner, companies that have 100 or fewer employees, um, trying to provide them with useful information that can help them solve a variety of channels. We talked about the or problems that they're trying to deal with on a given day. You talked about how there's some information on the on your, your station shows that help them deal with how to solve certain Human resources problems, for example. Right. We have a show called HR Heaven or Hell that's hosted by Susie Lemon. And Susie's been in the HR industry for more than 20 years working with small businesses. And when we look at a small business, I mean, there's shows that are for people who have one or two employees or by themselves. And then there are shows for people who have 50 or more employees because the two are very, very different. Sure. And how you structure things in your office Mm -hmm. and how you handle certain problems. And just to give the the listeners out there the ability to to kind of understand where does your measure of expertise come from? I mean, you've had experience in a variety of businesses along the way. You've had, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, seven different businesses that you've started. Um, and from the sound of it, they've been successful. You know, if in the end you end up moving away from one um, just because, you know, times are changing. Um, But can you talk a little bit about some of those businesses and then we can kind of, you know, bring it to today and why, why it makes sense to turn to you as an expert. I started Business Ventures Corporation, which is my first one and still is going in in 1981. So that one's going to be going more than 30 years. And that's where I do the training and the consulting and the, the book writing and all those sort of fun things. And work with small business owners from day one, helping them understand the financial side of their business and truly understand what's going on. The worst business I ever started with had a negative $400,000 net worth when we started. So that would have meant that they would have had to pay $400,000 to close their business that day <laughs> to pay all their bills. Right. 
So we ended up, took about two years and got them out of the negative and are profitable in business still today, believe it or not. And it was two years of, oh my gosh, stressful. It was stressful on me, but it was even worse on them. But we got them without filing bankruptcy and we put the plan together and made it work. That was the toughest one I've ever done. Yeah. And and can you share where were they going wrong? I mean, for, for the company out there today that's kind of bouncing along in that you know, maybe they're in the black or maybe they're just under or significantly one or the other. I mean, what were I'm sure there were some missteps they were making where you came in and thought, oh, okay, we gotta change this and that. Okay. Two major things. Number one, they were not looking at their financial statements at all. So they didn't know whether they were profitable or not profitable. They were running their business on cash i.e. we either have cash in the door or we don't have cash in the door. They never looked at their pricing and seeing whether that was profitable or not. I'll give you a perfect example of another company like that. Had a guy start a business at zero, grew to $2 million, always did it by cash. The cash finishing one job, one project, started the next one, was go to the next one. So he always had cash in his pocket, could always pay his bills, could always pay his, his suppliers and his customers, things like that. Hit $2 million and growth just stopped, flatlined. And all of a sudden, within a couple of weeks, he stopped being able to pay his bills. You know, couldn't take his discounts anymore, sometimes had problems making payroll. And he goes, wait a minute, I'm this $2 million company. Right. So I get this phone call. Well, long story short, it turns out he was losing a nickel for every dollar that came in the door for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And you can do that because you're not paying attention. If you stop paying attention and you don't understand pricing... So he was charging a dollar and it was costing him a dollar five. You got it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But you don't know it when, you're, when your business is growing. You have cash because one project they paid starts the next one. They pay. And you keep getting more and more projects in the door. You don't see that you're missing that nickel because it's low enough. You know, if it was a quarter or, you know, 50 cents, it would be a right. totally We'd different situation. More quickly. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, 12 years of phenomenal growth and then stop growth. I mean, literally flatlined at $2 million in sales, and you think you're a $2 million company, you're doing well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you start noticing you don't have cash. It's really kind of interesting. And it's, you know, it's, uh, most of my clients tell me that when I walk in their door, they feel like they've been hit by a truck. So was the issue for that, <laughs> for that business that kind of revealed that he had a problem, was it more related to maybe a longer period in between projects that it, exposed it, him or... It was both. It, it was a lot of different things. They didn't, they didn't keep track of their inventory well. They didn't do their pricing well. They didn't do their marketing well. They had grown up in, an era, in, a, in a time when business was really, really good, and they stopped paying attention. And if you stop paying attention, and one day you're going to wake up and go, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And you, you search for help at that point. Right. Because you got to do something or else you will be dead. And he had, you know, like most small business owners, he had his entire net worth tied up in the business. Everything was signed personally, all of his, you know, his home and his cars and everything was there and he didn't want to lose it. Right. So when you're, when you're talking about financial statements, we're, obviously there's a big focus within your content, as we talked about, for the small business owner, is something like a, without, you know, trying to plug somebody, is a, say a QuickBooks or something like that, is that adequate in your experience for a small business owner? Um, and I'm sure that for some measure of business owner, that's got to be somewhat effective. But you know, what are the options? When do you need to start going to, say, an accountant, for example, to get those things done versus using a resource like QuickBooks or some other competing option out there? I just know that. Yeah, QuickBooks, Peachtree, yeah. there's, there's right. lots of them out there. The, the thing is, you always need your accountant to do your taxes. And the way I look at it, I mean, I still use an account to do my taxes, and I look at my books, you know, every month, every day, every week, you know, whatever else it is. But the issue is you can always delegate responsibility for accounting because you have things to do that you weren't, you know, you didn't go to school or you didn't go to start your business to become an accountant. Unless they have a bookkeeping service, I will take mm-hmm. that caveat. Sure. And then they have to look at it from a perspective of, okay, they do what they do very, very well. I still have to review. I still have to make good business decisions. So I can delegate, but I can't abdicate the financial side of my business. Quite frankly, you know, if you get in business, you start growing really, really well. Um, something's going to bite you, either an HR or an HR issue, a cash flow issue, a supplier not paying you issue, inventory issues. I mean, I can go down the list, down and down and down. 
And that, that's the point where you realize you don't know what you don't know when something starts biting you in the butt. And then at that point, you think, okay, I have to learn the financial side of business. And as we were talking about earlier, accounting was started a thousand years ago by the Venetian monks. I mean, modern day accounting. They didn't have QuickBooks. They didn't have Peachtree. <laughs> they didn't have a calculator. And yes, the Chinese had abacuses before. Some of you out there thinking that, yes, there was those things out there. But the Chinese didn't talk to the Italians because there was no methods of communications until Marco Polo came around. But that's another story. And they had to make it easy. It's addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And that's it. So if you look at your P&L and your balance sheet every single month, and the book I wrote called The Courage to be Profitable explains it in English mm-hmm. rather than in accounting ease or accounting babble, whichever way you want to look at it. It really allows you to sit down with the book, and in 30 minutes a month, after a couple months, you're going to be able to get it, and you're going to make great business decisions based on what your financials are saying to you. Um, got a funny story for you. I always, with companies buying, um, not companies buying, but they're hiring a new bookkeeper or something like that, I have a bookkeeping test that I give them. Because some people interview really, really well. And you know, most business owners don't know bookkeeping. And that's not their job to know a debit and a credit and all those sort of fun things. It's their job to review the statements and make sure that they're accurate and make good business decisions on the statements. So <laughs> I gave it to one of my clients, and he sent me back a thing saying 40%, 55%, 70%. These are the people he gave, quote unquote, bookkeepers this test to, and they all flunked it. I said, keep going. <laughs> Just keep going going. You will find somebody who does know what they're talking about because you don't know. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're a business owner as a general rule. Unless you have a degree in accounting, you're not going to know a whole lot of the bookkeeping things. You're going to know when something looks wrong. But you know they need to know how to do fix it. As it relates to profit and loss statements, I mean, are there certain areas of it where you find either uh, I'm not paying attention to the right details or I'm not tracking something that's I don't know where it might come from, but where, okay. where, where do I make mistakes on my P&L sheet? I'll give you, there are seven things that you, and, and it'll take you five minutes to look at it and when you get your balance sheet and profit and loss statement every single month. Number one, if you have negative cash on your balance sheet, you either have a bookkeeper who's embezzling from you or they are lazy and they print out all their checks and they're waiting for money to come in to send out the checks. Wrong. You never print out a check unless you've actually got the money in the bank to, to do that. So negative cash on the balance sheet does not work. If you had negative cash in the bank, do you think a banker is going to let you have a negative $10,000 in cash? I don't think so. (laughs) Your account would be closed and it would be done. That's number one. Number two is negative payroll taxes. A lot of bookkeepers don't do payroll correctly. And it looks like the feds owe you $10,000 or $20,000. No. (laughs) Unlikely. Unlikely. Very (laughs) unlikely that you would overpay your payroll taxes by $10,000 or $20,000. Not going to happen. The next thing you look at is what's called negative numbers, like a lot of long-term payments as you get towards the back end of the payments, they'll have negative long-term liabilities, which means the bank owes you money for that particular loan, not that you own the bank money for that loan. So, I mean, those are three, I mean, you can look at your balance sheet in, in 30 seconds, see those three things. If they're there, you know something's wrong. From a, from a P&L perspective, if you have no rent in one month, you know, you've got rent every month. So, the next month might have double rent. You know, those types of things. So, I mean, you look at your P&L to make sure that your overhead is your overhead is your overhead every month to make sure it should be fairly consistent right. every month single to month. Month, month, yeah, to month. Yeah. I mean, there might be some extraordinary things every once in a while, but you make sure that they are consistent on a month-by-month basis. And then, you make, and then you do what I call fruit salad, which is when you have the revenue in one month and the expense in another month. And it's like revenue is apples and expense is orange. And you put them together, you have fruit salad. You have no clue what's really going on in your business unless you have revenues matching your expenses against those revenues in a month. So, I mean, that's really easy to look at, take you five seconds, five minutes max to know whether you have a you know, P&L and balance sheet that at least looks accurate. Oh, one more. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the balance sheet balances. <laughs> Don't laugh. Seems pretty essential, right? <laughs> so is it, do most of these errors, do they come f- from some measure of it being, I don't know if it's automated would be the right word, um, but in terms of the way it's, the data entry is done um, because, I mean, obviously when you're creating, say, a spreadsheet, if that's what you're working from, you can have it more or less create an entry for you by dragging a certain way. Does, is that ends up what happens or, I mean? The, the modern the modern QuickBooks or Peachtree or whomever you're using makes it hard to have a balance sheet that doesn't balance anymore because they usually require a debit and a credit that offset each other. So, But they don't care what the debit is and what the credit is. So you could make any numbers up that you want. 
if, if you really don't know what's going on. And I'm exaggerating to some extent here, but it, the reality is, is that bookkeepers don't know what they're doing or, you know, you do, do the typical thing is you start your business and your wife does your books. Well, guess what? Unless your wife's a CPA or a bookkeeper, find somebody who knows how to do books. Because mm-hmm. I've seen more marriages get broken up as a result of husbands and wives trying to work together where the wife's doing the books. None happen because they don't know what they're doing. So if I'm a small business owner and I'm trying to decide how to handle the financial side of my business and use one of those options we talked about that that you can either do a subscription or some sort of a uh, software as a service or downloadable, whatever Whatever, it may be, but that gives some measure of do it yourself Mm -hmm. with some guidance, obviously, by the application. Um, At what what point is the, in your best advice, where does it make sense for either from a whether it's a business size or a uh, complexity of a business or whatever those uh, advisory points may be for you that I would advise against relying on one of those do-it-yourself type applications, even if they're quite helpful um, or well-reviewed, to versus linking up with a CPA. Okay, you always need your CPA for taxes, no matter what. All right, a lot of CPAs also do bookkeeping, so in the beginning you may want to have that happen. In the beginning, you may want to do it yourself to learn it. You're so busy probably in a startup working on the business side of business trying to generate revenue, make sure it's profitable revenue, but just generating revenue that you don't pay attention to the financial side of your books. What's going to happen is one day your CPA is going to come to you and say, um, you owe $10,000 in taxes. And you say, where'd the profit go? I don't have any money to pay $10,000 in taxes. And that's when you start paying attention. That's when the things actually happen. Okay. You realize that your profit and loss statement tells you how much profit you lo- or loss you had. doesn't tell you how much cash is in your bank. So don't think profit is cash because it's not. Profit gets turned into cash when you collect and pay your bills and those types of things. So P&Ls do not tell you how much you ha- cash you have in the bank. They just don't. I mean, think about it. You can have a loss one month and have lots of money in the bank. You can have a phenomenally profitable year and have no money left in the bank. So... It just kind of depends. You've got to understand the financial. So basically to answer your question, I know I kind of went off on that, is that the first person somebody normally hires is a part-time bookkeeper to handle that part of their business. And then they think, oh, good, I don't have to do that anymore. Wrong. You still have to review and make sure that it's right. And then as their business grows and grows and grows, that part-time person will turn into a full-time person. You may f- find somebody who's overseeing it. Then you'll have somebody who does receivables and somebody who does payables and you know, somebody who does billing. I mean, it, it can go on and on and on. I mean, the bigger the company, the more right. financial people you'll have around. And for the small business owner, who maybe they don't have a CPA out there just yet. They've got your, your situation. They're either using a, an application or a part-time or, a, yeah, or or my mom or sister or my <laughs> wife uh, to do the books itself, um, you know, put the checks in and all of that kind of stuff. Um, when, when, how, how much can they expect that to cost and how much should they, you know, expect to budget for having the correct financial, I guess, support, if you will, if they don't, if they're not a major company that's got that built in CFO, mm-hmm. that kind of person that they're going to hire full time. I mean, how can, how much can they, should somebody realistically expect a budget for that? It depends. It to- I mean, that's like asking me how much should I, how much is my house going to cost? And you don't give me a set of blueprints. Mm-hmm. It depends upon whether they're going to be doing the books, whether they're just going to be doing taxes, whether they're going to be doing both. I mean, there's just so much of a variation. The best thing to do is to find a CPA with credentials that you like or find a bookkeeper with credentials that you like and and get comfortable with them. Um, And the way that you figure out how you can pay them is you use what I call Ruth's rule number two. You take their costs and divide by the gross margin of your company, and that's how much business you have to generate to pay them. It's that easy. It's that easy. And I can do all the math to show you that that works. So how many small businesses end up working to pay their CPA? Well, yeah, it's a very sobering number. I mean, if you think about it, if a business owner takes $100,000 out of its business and its business gross margin is 25%, the company has to generate $400,000 just to pay him. I mean, you know, once you start putting the numbers down on paper, it's it actually, you know, you guys looking and oh, it's not so much fun to do for most people. But the what ifs, you know, can I hire this person or not? I don't know. Put the numbers down on paper. If somebody's going to cost you and they're an overhead type person, then they're going to cost you, you know, $50,000, including benefits. And your gross margin is, you know, 33 percent. They're going to have to generate $150,000. How are they going to do it to be able to pay for that person? Mm-hmm. And it really is that type of thing that 
you, you just do it on paper and figure it out from there. And so as part of what you do through uh, the the profitability of revolution services, do you offer some of this? I mean, obviously we've got video we're programming, mixing, yeah, we're mixing. but I mean, do we, do we have consulting services or coaching that that's available or is it more the learning from the content that you're producing through your shows that you have and then also through your dedicated learning content that you produce. Right. We in the videos themselves, we you know, how to read a PL, how to read a balance sheet and those types of things. So you, you can learn that way. Um, there's really no, you know, consulting like what I do. I do that through my other companies. Okay. But you know, if you have a problem and you need to make payroll, if you have an HR problem, if you have a selling problem, if you have a marketing problem, if you've got you know, any types of issues that you've got, you can watch the live programs free, or you can go into one of our how-to library programs you know, anytime. And we don't have any theory in there. It's all practical. It's all done by small business owners who've done it, not necessarily just talked about it. So it's, it's really meant for small business owners. I mean, it's funny because people say, well, I want to come on your show, or I want to you know, do a show with you. And, and they're a a theorist, they've never operated a small business. And it's like, no, you can't do that. Tell me how you've dealt with small businesses and, and how you've helped them. They just, most people who work for large corporations don't have a clue what running a small business is like. You know, worrying about payroll, staying up at night, um, you know, and all those things from that, that we all know what we do. From that. Yeah, that's right. We've been talking with Ruth King, the uh, chief executive officer of the Profitability Revolution Paradigm, and, and kind of getting to know a little bit about her exp- expertise as it relates to the small business owner. And clearly, uh, there's some excellent information to be gained by linking up with them. And, and from what I understand, the the, the station is now 24-7 in operation. It's an internet-based television sh- you know, programming. Right. Uh, and, and obviously, as we've talked about, it's aimed at business. It's, it's meant to help business owners of uh, small to mid-sized companies in the, you know, up to 100 employees, roughly, mm-hmm. uh, learn how to better run their business. Um, but just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about it, uh, some of these types of uh, common missteps that you run into with with customers from your vis- viewers asking you questions and things like that you've encountered um, to give an idea of what we're talking about here. It's it's clear that there's going to be some great information to be gained from that. And you you brought with you a copy of the book Courage to Be Profitable: Get and Stay Profitable in Less Than Thirty Minutes a Month. You want to talk a little bit about where this came from and, you know, in terms of its genesis. We've actually been talking about that for the past little bit. But Courage to be Profitable actually came out of my consulting work that I've done with small businesses over the past 30-plus years. And it really and truly tells you, do you have a business or a hobby? Do you, you know, what is overhead? Understand what a P&L really is. Understand what a balance sheet is. Understand how to do the financial ratios. Um, It's written in English rather than accounting babble, as I put it. And it really and truly, if you follow the steps in that book, the book is really easy to read. I, I had one person read the book and send me an email and says, I opened this book with trepidation, but I found out how easy it was to read. I said, good, you read it. Now do something with it. Right. Because you can read, you know, as you see, you have it in your hand and you can read it in less than yeah. two hours. The, the key is actually doing it every single month because that's where it was help, will help you. I had one guy uh, read the book, and the book is, you know, fourteen ninety five, and it's like nine bucks on Amazon, and the, the Kindle version is like eight. So I mean, there's no reason not to <laughs> right. do this. He goes, I saved fifteen thousand dollars in inventory expense. I think I got a pretty good return on my investment. Yeah, what, what was able? What helped him save his money? Because he realized that he had too much money tied up in inventory, and he stopped buying it and used what he had. So he, you know, basically freed up fifteen thousand dollars in cash. One of the ratios that you do tells you it's called inventory days. You know how many days you have from the time you buy something to the time you sell something, or you use it in a product. How many days is it? And he, it was like way over where it needed to be. He realized it, and then guess what? Boom! Stop buying inventory. Now I'm sure his suppliers weren't real happy at that point, <laughs> but at least he could pay his bills. Yeah. Well, if you're just paying for something to be sitting on the shelf there, it's not really doing you much good. You want to have zero or next to zero inventory if you're at Dell the end computer, of the period. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Things that you've got uh, listed in the table of contents, just to give folks an idea, what is your net profit really? Cash basis accounting gives you a false sense of security. 
some of those things that we kind of talked about a little mm-hmm. bit. What do I really need to do? We talked about your your financial fruit salad as a <laughs> recipe for disaster, and how growth masks unprofitability. I, I gave I, that's you that story. An easy yeah. One. yeah, I gave you the story with the two million dollar guy. Yeah, so you know, learning things about uh, you know some key topics like uh, trailing debt ratios, percentage compensation ratios, learning some. Some of the technical issues that uh, that would be useful to to know when you're trying to evaluate your company's financial status. I know I'm going to take the two hours to read it. Okay, cool. And, and let me let me explain percentage compensation because it's really easy. Percentage compensation just basically says for every dollar that comes in the door, how much you're spending on payroll and payroll taxes. Period. That's it. It's very easy. You can calculate that right now because you know what you wrote a payroll check for. You know what sales came in the door that that month. And track it every single month. And if it's going up, warning sign, warning sign, warning sign, warning sign. Your people are not productive. You know, there was a study that was done that said 95% of your employees steal from you, and they steal time. And so mm-hmm. they're not necessarily stealing money. They're not st- stealing parts and pieces. They're stealing time. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter, or you know, whatever. They're surfing the wet to buy something off of Amazon. I mean, they're just not doing the work they should be doing. And that was one of the HR questions that came up, by the way, too. What do we do with it? And, and I was going to ask that. <laughs> I mean, when, when somebody, do you, as part of your content, do you offer advice on how to kind of rein that in? Yes. I mean, without, you know, without losing your, without losing your human, you know, human capital. If you will. <laughs> when um, Susie, Susie's show, the first three, first part of her show is, always three questions that viewers have sent in. And some of them are pretty wild. <laughs> they are really tr- pretty wild. So um, these are all real questions. These are all viewer-based issues that, that they have. And so we answer them you know, as best we can online. And sometimes you can answer them offline too. So if, if a business is interested in joining you as a guest on the show, I mean, are there particular either topics or types of businesses that one would want to kind of bring or you know, because if you look at our programming, a lot of the things that we do is as much as anything. Sometimes we're highlighting a business and a solution. I mean, we we focus on the business to business space. Mm-hmm. So part of our value is just helping somebody have media access so that uh, the companies out there can understand. Hey, there's a solution that might just fix your problem. But when it comes to you know programming on the profitability revolution, um, and I have an interest in being a part of the show. Um, are there certain things that you're looking for, whether it's a type of business or type of topic, type of expertise that you might have an interest in trying to it put really, some focus on? It really and truly doesn't matter because we cover all aspects of business, business from HR, sales, marketing, operations, financial, women's business, giving back, things like that. So if you've got a really cool story, if you've solved a particular problem, um, if you are an expert in one of those areas, then get a hold of us and just call us. Uh, number is 770-729-8000 if they want to call. And, and let's talk. Let's have a conversation because as you, you and I were talking off the air. A guest is cool. But somebody who wants to do a show, we have a very serious conversation about expectations. Sure, of course. Yeah, that's a different <laughs> matter altogether. <laughs> it's a lot more than just uh, a few minutes on the air, I guess. No, definitely not. One of the things that you do some focus on is uh, nonprofit organizations. Can you talk a little bit about that? And if you if you want, you can highlight some of the ones that you've kind of given some okay. some highlights on. There, um, one of our mantras is, is, is make money, enjoy freedom, live well, and give back. So the giving back part is, is what we do. And we have a program called Giving Back. And it's hosted by John Ray, who is a um, Bookkeeping Express franchisee. And he's really, really good. He's very, very good at what he does and that part of it. But he learned a long time ago that giving back had really helped him with business. And so he hosts the show where we highlight a nonprofit and also talk to a business owner about you know what their experiences have been when they give back, whether they let their employees go you know spend a couple of hours a month doing a charitable project, giving money to causes or whatever else it is, and how it has actually helped their businesses. So um, we've highlighted many, and we've given money to Kiva, which you may or may not know is a uh, micro lending organization around the world, mm-hmm. where for twenty five dollars you can actually support an entrepreneur, and, it, and it's really cool because you see every month they pay back a loan, and it might be twenty nine cents, or it might be a buck, or <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. But these, you know, these are men and women in in parts of the world where twenty five dollars is a lot of money to them. You know, right. they can do a lot with twenty five dollars. We think twenty five dollars, you know, it's a week at Starbucks, but yeah. That in those particular cases, that works really, really well, and we've we've done you know, highlighted them and and a few of um, Deco, which is an organization that helps um, 
students in high school learn about businesses. And then um, there's um, John should be here telling you the story because he's the one who actually does it more than I do um, in terms of the the actual nonprofits. But if you have a nonprofit, let us know because I'll connect you with John, John Ray and Bookkeeping Express, and he can get you on his show because we are looking for nonprofits to, you know, obviously we don't want ones that give, you know, 90% of their money goes to overhead expenses. We really want to see it um, actually work in the community. When when you're looking at the organizations that come to you, where where does one evaluate? Because I mean, I know just using a kind of a trivial example, I, I you know, when you go through a checkout store, you know, the line at a store, they'll say, "Do you want to donate to this and such?" And I'll ask, "How much of the dollar that you're asking for is actually going to make it to that place?" They don't know. Uh, <laughs> they don't know. Uh, I mean, how does one how does one effectively evaluate that, or is there a place to you yes, can look for that? There is a place that you can look for that, and it's an online. If you just if you Google. Um, evaluations of nonprofits and they give them one through four stars and you can tell by that whether or not the how much money they give to the actual cause versus how much goes for administration yeah. and, and and you can just look there it can be quite surprising oh, I yes. think. and when they when there's from what i understand i've i've seen some I don't know if they're exposés per se, but uh, news stories for sure mm-hmm. some of them being gotcha type stories um, that we're talking about somewhat well-known and well-respected um, organizations that were raising money for, you know, things that would make somebody want to donate. Yeah. And when you talk about administrative services, it's paying the salaries of, uh, you know, pretty pretty high salaries or, or outsourcing funds to telemarketing companies sure. that are usually owned by a buddy uh, or you know, their own whatever. salaries, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. So it can be kind of surprising. So it's good to know that there's some places yeah. one can go to, there, to evaluate. We did. I did an interview with a gentleman by the name of Bill Driscoll. He was a Navy ace, and he has a book called um, Peak Performance Under Pressure, which was really an excellent book. And I, you know, before I interview anybody and they have a book, I will read their book to make sure it's appropriate for small business. And he donates all the profits from his book to a organization that is helping um, Navy and Marine and, and families when they first find out that one of the, it's not the wounded warriors. It's it's something different than that. But um, I looked him up first to find out whether we were going to talk about this or not. And he got four stars. So he, he was okay. <laughs> so Bill, here's your plug. <laughs> but he's a great guy. He's, I mean, he, he you know, was shooting you know got shot down in vietnam and all the other fun things that go along with that it's it's hard we've been talking with ruth king of the uh profitability revolution and clearly uh somebody who's well versed in uh, how to have a profitable business and and has experienced um through working with a number of companies over time um some common mistakes that small business owners make and, and is now combating that with uh, providing some content that one can go to talk. Can you, can you share some information for the person that may not be familiar with the station? Um, how it works? Cause I know that you talked about the fact that some of the content is, you know, you can view at any time, but then there are some scrip- subscriptions that are available for the person that wants to have access to some more of your uh, produced learning type content and how that might work for somebody to uh, take part. Okay. If you go to www.profitabilityrevolution.com, and you'll notice there are four squares on the website. The first one says, Watch Now Live Free. And that is what we stream 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there is a uh, TV schedule on the right-hand side so you can see what's coming up on the different days and the different times and, and that type of thing. And that's totally free. If you want to get into our video library, which has over 200 videos on HR, sales, marketing, operations, finance, women's business, giving back, whatever. Um, any question that you have about small business and you're looking for trusted answers from people who've done it, then that membership is uh, our gold membership and it's $20 a month or $200 a year. So, so you can prepay and save a little bit. Yeah. Clearly a, a great deal and a good way to get some information that might just be the, the, the difference between having a hobby, as you talked about, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> uh, where you're paying to be there, more or less, uh, to uh, having a profitable business. Um, Let's talk about that for a second, if you yeah. could, because even one of the person people who bought the car to be profitable sent me an email and said the best thing I ever did for him was he'd been in business for you know, 15, 16 years. And he said, I've been running this business like a hobby rather than a business. And, and my def I mean, it's not the IRS definition. I mean, we had Teresa Cherry on there who, who gave us the IRS definition of what a hobby is. What is it? Um, and a 
my definition of a hobby is when you don't look at the financial statements. You run your business. You don't particularly care how much money you make, whether you're profitable or not profitable. You're just doing it because you love it. And if you never make a profit, who cares? Um, some do profits by accident, but in running a real business, you still love it. You're still working 40, 60, 80, 100 hours a week, but you really do care about the financial side of your business. You, you really do care that the information and, and it's profitable and, and you're helping people too, but you're helping them profitably, which is the difference between a hobby and a business. The, according to Teresa Cherry, the uh, IRS definition is that three out of seven years have to be profitable. And if they're not, they can reevaluate your business as a hobby. And what happens if they do that? They disallow any of you, any of your business expenses that you've taken off on your taxes. Boy, that's a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. So you gotta you gotta at least know enough about your finances to make money three times in seven years. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's an important distinction, and I'm you know, I, I know I didn't I, I didn't even realize that there was a thing. Of course, I'm I'm relatively new in terms of the. Uh, entrance into the the small business arena so welcome to the world becoming familiar <laughs> with that yes and and uh, while I really enjoy being on the air and it's a lot of fun hanging out here with Krista Baruti and experts like yourself I, I really want to do more than a hobby yeah I would hope so <laughs> <laughs> well here's your introduction CW there you go that's right yeah and this one here does voiceover talent and uh, things like that. So if you ever is need it some, a hobby or is it a business? Uh, well, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a big hobby. <laughs> after that definition, yeah. but they they do look at it. They look at a lot of and she she gave us the list on on the air of all the people of all the different types of business that they really go after. One of which is photography. Believe it or not, really, yeah. They go after photographers because, I don't know, I guess a lot of people... Probably some interesting expenses. Yes. Um, yeah. With travel. With travel, and, um, yes, yeah. I had to go to Mexico to, to photogra- do some photography yeah. for a wedding. Uh, you know, yeah. I just had to stay at this really nice hotel. Yeah. and all That is very helpful. I mean, in the entertainment industry, a lot of it's freelance. So, I mean, that's very useful information. Yeah, make a profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> make at, a profit. At least, Eat. Put at a least roof over close your to head. half the time. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you really want to. I mean, why are you doing something 24 hours a day that you absolutely love and you're not making money at it? That, mm-hmm. to me, does not make sense because um, money is the way you keep score and the way all of us keep score one mm-hmm. way or the other. We want, you know, roof over head. We not want good food. We want to be able to do things with our kids right. and, you know, put them through school or whatever else it is. And you need money to be able to do that. Profit's not a dirty word. Yeah. Make it. And you have to do that. And then once you make the profits, you've got to turn them into cash. You know, profitable sales lead to productive cash flow or positive cash flow, which leads to cash. So with your video content that you're producing, because obviously you're, you're broadcasting 24-7 now, and that's live 24-7. That's right, yeah. Um, do you archive the content once it's gone live? Is it available? If I miss the live show, is it, can I come back later and watch it later? The live shows, um, they're actually broadcast eight times during the day that they're live. And then you can watch them again on the weekend. So like Tuesday's programs... Um, that are that are going on today, you can actually watch on Saturday and then following Thursday, and then we will put them in the library. So you actually have 24 opportunities to watch it. Um, and if you can't make it, you know, that's three days and in, in those types of things. So you'll be able to watch it pretty much, you know, if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you can still watch it because it's, you know, it's live 24-7. And, it, and it, it's interesting how many people are actually watching it at 1 o'clock in the morning. But if you think about it, small business owners sometimes don't have mm-hmm. time during the day, and they're watching it, you know, late at night. And that's when they have time to do it. Or they're awoken by a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I better find out what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I, in my opinion, I think that the new media option is going to overtake. It certainly put a dent into traditional media, and now you see like broadcast radio trying to emulate new media sure. type options as much as they can, um, and uh, the 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 television and video type content ch- producers are also having to do the same thing, making things available on demand and and. Uh, uh, producing some stuff straight to new media, which uh, just goes to show how powerful it really is. And and I think that a lot of people, when they hear that your TV show or your radio show is internet-based, it's kind of like, oh. Yeah, uh, we just had this conversation, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Oh, and, is it in your mom's basement? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, sometimes, Do you have a studio? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it is. Um, but it's it's one of those things where you actually now have the ability to get content that's relevant to a particular set and, and you don't have to necessarily produce something that's that's 
interesting to the giant masses, you have to produce content that's relevant to a particular group within your community and or, or in a you know within the realm of your reach and focus. And so this type of media content really allows you to do that. You can actually get very granular. Uh, one person might see a show and go, gosh, who would watch this? But somebody. Oh, yeah. Somebody. Right. Yeah. If, you're, if you don't own a business, you don't want to watch what we yeah. do. If you just don't. Yeah. It's not, it's not of interest to you. Um, if you're not a manager in a small business, you're not going to watch what we do. And the cool part about it is now that, you know, with the flat panel TVs now, you can just, you know, buy a Chromecast or whatever you call that little thing, device and shove it in there and, I mean, we watch it. We can go in my living room and watch the programming there. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to be at a desktop anymore. Everything we do is mobile. Mm-hmm. You can watch it on your cell phone. You can watch it on an iPad. You can watch it anywhere you want to watch it. You do not have to be tied to a desk anymore. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say, okay, I'm watching it. And you know, I hope they're not driving and watching it. But, you know, you hear about <laughs> it. <laughs> Hopefully they're listening. They're listening to it. They're just not, not getting the video Listening with a background visual. <laughs> I can see it now. Sorry, officer. I was watching television. I wasn't texting. I I wasn't texting. No, I was watching TV. (laughs) I see that, you know, in your bio, you were affiliated with the Small Business Development Center back in the 80s. And the Women's Entrepreneurial Center had a a stint helping develop those. Are you still involved with those in any capacity whatsoever? No, actually, they're actually still using parts of my course in the women's one of the women centers downtown who, who actually helps people start small business. That was a project in the 80s that the um, SBA funded with YWCA. And I taught class every Saturday for from September through June. And we graduated, 60 women started, we graduated 40 and starting their own businesses. A lot of them quit when they f- started doing their market research and found out how much it was really going to cost to do it. And they didn't have either the money or the time or didn't think it was a good enough idea to actually do a business. So... That's where a lot of, you know, I, I did that. And then um, SBA has a program called ICE, Inner City Entrepreneurs. And I taught that class here in Atlanta for a couple of years. That's meant for companies that are 400,000 or higher needing to go to the next level. So we teach them how to actually grow their businesses. So, I mean, there's a lot of history in terms of helping businesses grow. And it's, it's actually been, con- it's been a lot, I mean, it's been a lot of fun to do. And it's also been very rewarding when somebody actually, the light bulb goes on and they get it. Well, you can tell that you're passionate about yeah. this. I mean, in all of the stories that you told us before we went on air as well, I mean, you, you've been smiling the whole time. Listeners yeah. at home, she's just smiling. You can tell that you're passionate about it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging into the courage to be profitable and and uh, and, and reading through that just because, I mean, I, I can un- interpret a profit and loss sheet and all of that, but I, I look forward to kind of learning and getting a little bit more technical with it. So. It's I can not that really, technical. Well, it's but I mean, you know, just some of the some of the c- c- things that I've never really looked at before, like you talked about some of the different ratios and certain mm-hmm. things like that that can really turn the information you could get out of a profit and loss sheet into some very strategic yeah, well, uh, you're decision-making mo- stuff. You're mostly getting it off the balance sheet rather than the P&L. You really are. Your P&L only tells you whether you made a profit or a loss in one specific month, one specific quarter, one specific year. That's it. Your balance sheet tells you whether you're profitable or not. And most people don't get that. It's, it's, you know, most people start because the P&L is easier to read and they understand it. And then they learn to, at some point, reading the book and going further, they think, oh, this isn't hard. And you start ba- managing your business off your balance sheet more so than you manage it off your P&L. And, and you really start doing that. You manage for cash flow. You manage for receivables. You manage for debt. You manage for um, uh, collections and, and those types of things, too. And, and it becomes very, it's not hard. All it is is subtraction, addition, multiplication, division. We haven't changed anything since the Venetians changed it and started in in the 1300s or thereabouts. In the content, do you give advice for businesses in terms of, obviously, depending on your industry vertical, I'm sure there's some measure of difference from one to another in terms of where you ought to be with certain ratios. But, for example, SG&A as a a ratio to your revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're trying to decide, should I make a hire or not, do you... I gave you the rule for that. One. Yeah. And divide by, by the but I mean, margin. but obviously we we looked at whether or not that trend was rising or not. But do do you give ideas on ideally for a good healthy business to be more profitable? Your SGNA as a percent of revenue should be roughly in this kind of range, or is it too much variable it, it is. from one business sector to the next? It, it, there's a lot of differences, and then there's a. Um, book called, it used to be called Robert Morris and Associates Annual Statement Studies. They've renamed it, but they give you all the ratios for specific industries. And how that book is done is the bankers all subscribe to this service, so to speak, 
and they submit all of your financial statements that you have for your loans, and they take off the the name and put in the um, SIC code or whatever else it is. And so they collect all this data, and they create the averages. You know, businesses that are under a million, a million to five million, and over five million, and you and you get you can look at and see what the ratios are for your industry. And I don't use ratios um, as compared to industries for a lot of different reasons. Number one, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's assume that the what's called current ratio, which is just current assets or things that are cash or turned into cash within a year, divided by current liabilities, which are things that are supposed to be paid within a year. Can you pay your bills or not? And let's suppose that's supposed to be two. And your current ratio is one. And then next month, it's 1.1 and 1.2. I mean, you think, oh my gosh, I'm so under industry average. I'm not doing well. But the fact that you're going from you're one, trending, you're yeah. trending from one to 1.1.1.2 means you're increasing your profitability, and that is where you want to go. Likewise, if you were at three, say, and your industry average was two, you're going, ah, I don't have to worry about this. But at the last month, it was like 4.5, and it went to four, and then went to 3.5 and three. Warning bells need to be going <laughs> off in your head. Something's going on here. Let's figure it out. You know, it's like. That's why the trends matter more than where you are against industry averages. It really, really do. Um, there are some like never have a current ratio under one or something along those lines because you, then you do not have profitable business at all. Chief so- Executive Officer of Profitability Revolution Paradigm, Ruth King, is joining us in studio, clearly giving us some excellent information for the small business owner uh, and talked a little bit about their uh, new media television channel that they have um, that offers – live shows that uh, a small business owner can go to and get some uh, great information regarding how to run their business, how to make choices. Do I hire this person? Do I fire this person? Can I fire somebody for XYZ? You can ask them questions. Um, You talked about banking a little bit. It made me wonder, do you give information on capital, where to go, why, you know, in terms of sources of capital, when is factoring a good idea or a bad idea, if ever? Um, We've had you know, lots those, of those shows, yeah, yeah, over the years, absolutely. Um, in term, and factoring's changed a bunch. Um, non-traditional sources of, of, of financing have changed dramatically over the past five or six years. So you're seeing a lot new uh, ways of financing. Anita Campbell, who runs a business called Small Biz Trends, who's very well-known, did a whole series on where to go if you need a loan that you don't want to go to a bank. And you can do it all online now. You can absolutely do it all online. You do not have to walk into a bank anymore. You, know, you just don't. In your in your experience with the small business community, one of the things that's obviously emerging emerging very quickly nowadays is use of cloud computing, use of a variety of software as a service type options, where a business owner can begin to get very strategic, having access to data points across their business that. Uh, once they're in the cloud and and you can actually move sliders, if this, then that, you can begin to query your information in very unique ways, kind of on, almost on the, along the line of how Google works. It, it anticipates certain questions, gives you results uh, based on a, the question. It doesn't know what you're going to ask, but it can use algorithms to answer your question. Um, do you see a place for the small business owner? Because I think that there's probably a lot of people out there that have a small business that feel like, oh, that's really only for the Coca-Colas of the world. No, I mean, think about what's going on right now. If you look at even Microsoft, even Office 365 is X number of dollars a month. Where do you think it's coming? It's coming off the cloud. You know, they're using cloud computing whether they realize it or not. Because most everything, I shouldn't say most everything, but a lot of things right now are all cloud computing. And if you're paying monthly for something, you're more than likely it's coming out of the cloud. It seems like I haven't dug too deeply into it, but it seems like I saw the other, the other day advertisements for basically cloud you can almost buy like access to a cloud computer if you will you mm-hmm. you just need an interface mm-hmm. of some kind and now your computer is out there it's yeah. not here anymore it's dedicated to you <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours <laughs> but from what i understand even those types of options can give that much more you have access to uber security with yes. some of those options mm-hmm. versus your McAfee or whatever you made, Norton antivirus that you have on your local computer. So there, these options, from what I understand, can actually, from the efficiency that you gain, from the level of strategic decision-making that you can gain where you can really begin to do things like you talked about with your gentleman who saved $15,000 in cash because he was able to evaluate his inventory, some of those options sound like they can actually help Real, you do that. You can really do it. Very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Really do it very quickly. And depending upon who you actually use. I mean, our, 
I don't want to say it on the air, but you know, we have very deep security both internally and with who we use to help us stream. You know, it's a level five security facility. If those viewers, uh, viewers, right, listen to me, your audience who knows what that is. I mean, that's like you know, eye scans to get in there and stuff like that. So I mean, we are pretty security concerts ourselves. We have to be mm-hmm. for what we produce and the fact that we have to stream. Well, here we are again. I, I'm like, gosh, the, Flies right we by. sit here with these people and we get to talking about all these cool things and then our time goes by. So before we run out of time, do you have any final thoughts that we can offer to our listeners today that might either help them get better engaged with you or that just to take away some nuggets of advice before we have to jump off? Sure. Number one is read your financial statements every month. I don't care who you use to do them. If you don't understand what they are, you can buy the courage to be profitable online, go to Amazon, whatever else it is, and, and buy a book. And, and, and get it and sit down and, and learn it. It's not hard. The first month, it's hard. The second month, it's a little easier. By the time you hit the third month, it's like, why did I ever think this was hard? So understand the financial statements. Get your financials every single month um, by the 15th of the following month and do that. If you need help with any number of business issues, you can go to ProfitabilityRevolution.com and see what we have online that's free, or you can take a look at what we have in the video library and and join that way too. But do something. Always run a profitable business. You should not be having a hobby. Your business should be profitable. It's, it's, you know, don't work yourself to death for no money. It's, you get frustrated in that particular case. Well, there's so many things about having a small business that you own. I mean, it's funny because whenever I, this was my, this is not my first entrepreneurial endeavor, but, um, it just brings a measure of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, anxiety with it. You think about it all the time. You fret about it all the time. If you I thought goes, that was just the technical stuff for you, CW. <laughs> uh, it's just, just my personality, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting how that is. It, but it's not necessarily all bad. It's just it consumes so much energy. Just like you say, if you're going to be investing that kind of effort energy. and energy into it um, and occupy so much of your consciousness, then you might as well... Make a couple of pennies while you're doing it. Yeah, just Might a few. as well. Rub just them together. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> well, Ruth King uh, from Profitability Revolution Paradigm, I, I'm really pleased to have gotten a chance to get to know you. Likewise. It's um, been fun. I'll invite you out to the mixer. We've got that coming up. You said you're going to be traveling, though. Yeah. So if you have somebody from the company that uh, has a chance to join us at the Concourse Athletic Club, then make sure you do that. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm very pleased that you got a chance to come on and join us. Maybe sometime we can have you back with uh, uh, a company that's in the in the area that's you know would be able to talk about, gosh, yeah, I, I watched this or that program or I read the book and it really helped my business in this way. We'd be more than happy to bring them back and and let you sit and talk to them with us on the show. Chris Baruti, thanks for... Pushing your buttons. As always. You got it, CW. So for all you folks out there, if you have not done so already, um, I'm just... And you've got to be on Twitter and Facebook and all of that, and I'm, I'm sure you can link to that on the website. Mm-hmm. If you've not done so already for the Midtown Business Radio Show, please do that on Twitter and Facebook at Midtown BRX. If you have questions that come up after the show, please tweet them to us. We'll be more than happy to follow up with our guests and get those questions answered. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. <laughs>